I guess celebrities aren't the only people who get fake deaths. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're going to talk about Scott Wellington. While I drink my McUltra, been missing my beer. Tabitha Howell was your average teenager. She grew up in New Hampshire, graduated in 1998, and wasn't sure exactly what she wanted to do yet. So she decided that she was going to get a job and work at the local restaurant. She also decided that she wanted to move out of her parents' house and share a house with a group of friends. Most of them were her friends, but there were like one or two that she didn't really know. It was kind of like a friend of a friend situation. She didn't really care for them, but for the most part, everybody did. They got along. They were just your basic teens slash young adults having movie nights and game nights. They loved to play video games. The one person in particular that Tabitha didn't care for was Scott Wellington. He was a little younger than her and she just found him immature and arrogant and she thought he was probably going to be lazy and not do anything to help them around the house. As time goes on, Tabitha, she starts to notice though that he worked, he had a job at a grocery store, and he did clean up after himself. Sometimes she would even see him cleaning up after other roommates. He he did the dishes. He would sweep. And she's like, okay, I see you. He proved her wrong. So pretty much once they got all that out of the way, they really hit it off. They became close. And I think you know where I'm going. Then they became a couple. They had a lot of fun together. And this ended up being her first true love. After a few years of sharing the house, they decided it was time for the two of them to go and find their own place. Something more quiet, more more them. So they found a place to go. Once they were all settled into life of just the two of them, they found out they were adding a third. Tabitha was pregnant. Now, she had mixed feelings about this. She actually never really wanted to be a parent, but Scott always did want a family. So when she told him the news, he was very excited, and she just hoped that he was really going to step up and be the man that she needed him to be. She knew that kids are a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of work. They welcomed a baby boy and they were over the moon and they were both really good parents. Everybody around would say that both of them were doing a good job. In November of 2002, they found out that they were expecting again. They knew that they're going to have to watch what they're doing, watch their spending, and look for ways to cut corners. Scott would work the day shift as a machinist and Tabitha would do the night shift doing accounting. Not long after they welcomed another baby boy. Scott was laid off. They weren't sure what they were going to do and Scott just really seemed to withdraw. He was no longer helping with the housework. He didn't really do much of anything. Tabitha was working around the clock trying to pick up any shift that she could. Just try to help get the bills paid. Having a family of four is tough. Trying to do it on one salary? Uh, that's even tougher. So I'm sure things were very frustrating around there. In July of 2003, he found another machinist job in Greensville, which would cause them to move there. It was a smaller town, 
quiet. They got a two-bedroom apartment. And they seemed to like it, though, because there was a lot of things that were close by. It had that small town feel. Even though the post office was like a block away from their place, they were told that the postal service wouldn't go there, that they would have to get a P.O. box and deal with it that way. (laughs) I don't know. I think that's the weirdest thing. I don't understand. Like, I don't know. Is that like legit? (laughs) I don't know. Scott would keep the key on his key ring because he was the one who paid the bills. So it just made sense for him to go and get the mail. So it worked, you know, that they were able to get their mail. It's weird. I've never heard of that, but it worked. (laughs) I guess that's all that mattered. As time goes on, Scott's demeanor starts to change. His personality did like a total 180. He was starting to have mood swings and this would include everybody in the house. Nobody was off limits. Adults, children, everybody was getting yelled at. It was like walking around on eggshells. She couldn't figure out where this was coming from. This is not the man that she's been with. She's never seen this side of him. It was like he was a completely different person. She thought it might be because, you know, they're still doing the separate shifts. So pretty much, I mean, you only see each other and coming and going like that can take a toll on a relationship for sure. And she would try to work sometimes even over her shifts, just trying to get extra money. She even worked on holidays. But that's when Scott would start to interrogate her when she would get home and be like, where were you? Who were you with? You're cheating. And she's like, I was literally at work. It got to the point where she was tired of arguing about her not cheating on him that she would print out her time card every day so he could see what time she got there and what time she left. She just wanted it to stop. She wanted him to believe her and for whatever the hell was going on to just to stop. She had no clue what was going on. Then she gets blindsided again when he proposes. Like you're doing all of this crazy stuff. And then he proposed to her. One night in December, they're hanging out at the house and he's got a ring. Even though she's hella confused on what is going on with this man, she did say yes. You know, they already have two kids together. And it wasn't like he was like heavily pursuing it. There was no date even set. So it wasn't like it was a rush to the altar thing. She could have cared less. She thought, you know, it's just a piece of paper. She knows that it was something to him. I just wanted a ring on that finger. (laughs) Between 2005 and 2009, they add two girls to the mix. And now they are a family of six. If you think it was hard before, shit just got harder. Especially one day when Scott comes home and he tells her that he quit his job. She's dumbfounded. What? What do you mean you quit your job? You can't just quit your job. She knows her salary alone is not going to feed six people. In 2010, she found him another job. And it was to be a machinist at a company called CNM. Things were back to normal. They started going great again. He was making good money. Things were on the up and up. Out of the blue, Scott starts to go back to his controlling ways. He took the land phone away, telling her that they had to save money so she didn't need a phone. Oh, hello. You have four kids in that house. You need a phone. (laughs) 
So her mom bought her a cell phone, which he was not happy with. But I mean, hello, you would want the person watching your children to have access to the outside world. Just saying. He started to go into work early. Like I'm talking 3 a.m. early. So that was really weird to her. Like, why are you here at 3 a.m.? In December of 2010, he came home with a bonus and he said that it was a Christmas bonus worth $3,000 and it was because he was doing such a great job. She was so proud of him and so thankful for this money. This money was going to be able to make sure they were going to have a nice Christmas. Things just never stayed in one spot. It was like a roller coaster. He'd start with the outbursts again. And it it's almost seems like each time it's getting worse and worse. And I mean, it always usually does. I mean, it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Know that. One night, Tabitha was home playing a game with her friend on the computer. It got the little mic set up and they're sitting there talking to each other. And when he came home and saw that she was on that computer talking to somebody, he freaked out. He went into a rage. He took her off the stool and her mic dropped. Her friend Emmy, who was on the other line playing this game with her, could hear all of this going on. She could hear that a struggle was happening at this point. And she's freaking out. Hello? Hello? But when the mic does drop, it goes silent. When she tries to call her cell phone, she gets no answer. She's freaking out. Their struggle was so loud that it woke up all four kids. And that's when she threatened that she was going to call the cops. He took off running and instead of the cops, she ended up calling her mom who would come over and spend the night with her. He returned later that night and she said he seemed genuinely sorry. His temper had cooled down and she really didn't want to ruin Christmas for the kids. She allowed him to come back into the home. In March of 2011, after 12 years together, she decided it was finally over. She really knew that back in December, but she needed time to get all of her ducks in a row. She's going to have four kids. She's not really going to depend on him too much. So she knows she's got to have some shit together. She threw him out of the house and, you know, she was living her best life as a single mom, four kids, ages between one and nine. Panaya. <laughs> oh, shit. She told him that she wanted him to stay away until Easter. Then he could come over and spend some time with the kids. And he said, fine. Days getting ready for Easter, she was out running errands and she decided that she needed to stop by that P.O. box so she could check the mail. Now that she had the key... She's never been to it, so she knows she needs to go and get it. When she opened it, it was packed, and she was shocked at how many unpaid bills there were. But just as she thought that was the worst thing that she was going to find in there, she was mistaken. There was a card that was in the mail, like a greeting card. So she opened it, you know, she's not thinking of anything, paying no mind. And when she opens it, she realizes it's a sympathy card. There's money orders in it, and she noticed it was addressed to Scott and the kids, and as she keeps reading, she realized that this sympathy card is for her. Scott told people she was dead. She was reading her own sympathy card. How creepy is that? Inside the card, it wrote, Dear Scott, we are so sorry for the loss of your wife. You and your kids are in our prayers. It was from his job. It was signed CNM. She's 
like dumbfounded. Uh, why do people think I'm dead? You know, was this his plan the whole time? What the fuck is going on? First thing she does is call Scott and she tells him, do not come over for Easter. Matter of fact, don't come around me at all. Pretty much, I'll have my people talk to your people. She also contacted his boss. When they speak, he is just as shocked as her because first of all, she's not even his wife. So there's lie number one. She learned about her longtime battle with stage four breast cancer. She was about to have a double mastectomy, but things, they didn't look good for her. So they weren't sure what was going to happen. He had pocketed more than $7,000 between donations. He was given several weeks off with pay, money orders. He definitely took advantage of the situation. The bonus he got in December was not a bonus for doing a good job. He said he couldn't buy Christmas presents for the kids due to piling up medical bills. So they gave it to him to help him out. The week that she threw him out was the week that she died. And then he quit. She had so many questions. What did he do with all the money? Is this why he was trying to isolate her? He didn't want her to be seen because she was supposed to be home laid up in bed dying from cancer. She went straight to the police and got a restraining order on him. And his boss went straight to the police and filed a report for theft. They were both surprised that he would do such a thing to both of them. When police brought him in, he didn't even deny it. He didn't even, yep. He said that he was in hard times and he needed a way to help support his family. Bob Proker was the supervisor at CNM Machine in Hudson, New Hampshire said that Scott was an excellent con. He was very good at what he did. He knew how to turn the tears on. He basically just deceived us, told lies day after day. He used his wife and children as his means of getting money out of the company and his fellow employees. Some police say that this all started back in October when Scott held a fundraiser for his sick wife and four kids. That fundraiser made about $2,000. Scott never delivered on the merchandise. Come on. He was charged with two counts of theft by deception. He pled guilty on May 16th of 2011, which gave him a few days in jail, and he's on administrative probation. He will remain on probation until he pays back the $7,000, and he has to pay them between two cancer research charities. She still has no clue what he did with the money. And Scott has little to no contact with any of his kids. So I guess you can say they're doing good. Okay, that is just crazy. Like, who does all that? Was he going to kill her? I have so many questions. (laughs) Well, silver lining, two charities are getting some money for research. So yay. (laughs) And nobody's really dead. I'll have more of that in my after hours edition. All right, that's it for tonight's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, or give that five-star rating on your favorite platform or, hey, on all of them, you know. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook if you would like to see what all of these people look like. If you haven't done so yet, head over to crimeovercocktails.com where you can either become a Patreon to help support the show, look at merch, or even listen to the episodes. 
All right, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.